The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au We'll take your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians and chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 14 through 20 for context. Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 20. There is in your... Uh, bulletin there is a little note sheet that you can follow along with if you would like. It's yellow this morning. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 14 and down to verse number 20. The Word of God says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We'll leave the reading off there. Let's again ask for God's help as we go to the word of God, please. Loving Father, again we come before you, and with the word of God open, we pray O oh God, that the Spirit of God would teach us and bring us into all truth. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand, but also, Father, you would help us to go out and do the things that we are seeing and hearing about. Father, we pray that you would change us from the inside out. Father, for those here this morning that do not know you, Father, we pray that you would save them and bring them into a real knowledge, a right knowledge of yourself that they might walk in faith and obedience. And Father, we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the connection between our text this morning, which is verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I want you to notice there is a connection between the previous verses and that one verse. The main verb that drives our section from verse 14 down to verse 20 is the verb in uh, verse 14, stand therefore. The word is stand or endure therefore. And then he explains in a series of participle verbs. And if you don't know what a participle is, it's one with an ing on the end of it. So stand therefore, having fastened and having put on the breastplate and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, and so on. And then he says, down in our verse, praying at all times. And the way it works is in the grammar and the construction there is simply that the main verb is to stand or endure at the same time having and doing all these other things that go with it. So we are to stand and endure against the enemy's devices by praying, among other things, praying at all times in the Spirit. 
were to stand having put on or having put on the whole armor of God, having wrapped and fastened God's truth tightly around us, were to stand having fastened the breastplate of righteousness around us and having fastened to our feet the assurance that comes from the gospel of peace. In the last three pieces of the armor, I hope you notice that they're not fastened to the body. They're actually picked up and they're held and used. The helmet is pulled on and taken off and so on. But the sword is picked up in the hand and the shield is picked up in the hand. They're usable weapons where the other ones are just fastened tightly in protection to the body. And then he says, picking up and holding firm the shield of faith and pulling on the helmet of salvation and picking up the sword of the Spirit and... Praying at all times in the Spirit. It's very vital that we have communication all the time with our commanding officer. If you've looked at anything to do with World War I, the trench warfare, one of the biggest problems they had was that of communication. The officers in the back of the, the battlefield, way at the back where it was safe, had to get communication to the front lines, directing the men and controlling the attacks and advances and so on. And communication was a huge problem. Well, for us as soldiers of the king, we need to be in constant communication with our commanding officer, constant communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to pray at all times or be praying at all times in the spirit. Now, if you've got that little note sheet, you can see there's an outline there. There's two main points. The first one we will cover very briefly, and that's the manner of prayer, how we are to pray and the second point I want to cover in much more detail, that's the power in praying. How it is that we pray with power. So first of all, the manner of prayer. And what you notice there in the verse, he says, praying with all prayer and supplication. There are all different types and ways in which we pray. We pray in worship, love and adoration, lifting up our hearts to God and just loving God in prayer. We pray in confession. Seeking God's forgiveness of sin. If you read Psalm 51, it's a long prayer of David's in which he is confessing his sin and seeking for God's mercy. We pray in intercession. We get together on Wednesday nights and we spend a good chunk of our prayer time on Wednesday nights interceding for one another, lifting up the needs of each other towards God and to his throne and asking to God to deal with and respond to those needs. We pray in thanksgiving. It's a sign of a godly generation is one that is one given to prayers of thanksgiving, to giving thanks. How quickly do we ask for things and how slowly do we give thanks for them? In fact, I don't know if you're not like me, and I certainly hope in some ways you're not. I'm so quick to ask for something, and when God supplies it, before I've even taken time to give thanks, I'm already asking for the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. But we are to be praying with all prayer and supplication. There's different forms of prayer. We're to pray in ordered, list-driven requests and petitions. If you don't make lists for prayer, I encourage you to start making lists for prayer. Get a notebook. Get a computer program. Do whatever you have to do. Make lists. It's a good thing. It reminds you of things that you might otherwise forget. But prayer lists are a good thing, but also... Brief, circumstance-driven prayer. You're in a situation. You haven't got time to stop and pull out your list and work your way through it. Sometimes you just stop and you pray. Nehemiah stands before the king and the king says, What's going on here? you got a sad face, Nehemiah. That's a bad place to be in. 
When the king says, you got a sad face because the king can snap his fingers and your head is so quickly separated from your shoulders. And he quickly prays. So I pray to the God of heaven and he speaks. In fact, you want a good education on how to pray? Read Nehemiah. All the times and all the ways he prays through that book. One of his famous prayers, Lord, remember me for good. He's always praying. There's list prayers and there's brief, circumstance-driven prayers. Old Uncle Jack, my uh, mentor, many years ago, he used to say the best prayers sometimes have just two words. Okay, and he said, help, Lord. <laughs> it's as simple as that. We wrestle with God in prayer. Jacob, I was reading that story just a couple of days ago, out there in Peniel, and he sends his family across. He's going to meet his brother, and all the circumstances of his life are seeming to close down in on Jacob. And what does he do? He spends the whole night wrestling with God in prayer. And at the end of it all, you'd think Jacob would be longing to get out of there. But no, what does he say? I will not let you go until you bless me. And Jacob wrestled with God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, there's a need for us in the day we're in, in the circumstances we face day by day, to be wrestling with God in prayer. Not physically wrestling, but it's just grieving and laboring in prayer before the living God. We seek God's will and direction and guidance in prayer. We see that in Acts 13, as the church gathers together to pray, and the Spirit of God says, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have them to do. There's silent and audible prayer. Sometimes we pray silently because we're in a group or so on. But sometimes we stand up and we pray out loud. Neither one is, is better than the other. They're both good. We pray, excuse me, we pray in private and we pray in communal group prayers. It's a really good thing, brothers and sisters in Christ, to get together with the people of God to pray together. We're going to look at Acts in a few weeks' time when we finish Ephesians. And one of the first things I notice, you read the book of Acts, is they were devoting themselves to prayer. That phrase comes up again and again in the book of Acts. It's good for private and communal prayer groups. So we pray in all forms. We also pray in all seasons. He says there in verse number 18, at all times we pray. There are regular times of prayer and there are irregular times of prayer. But let me tell you this, you will not develop the life of prayer, the prayer as breathing kind of life without those regular times of prayer. When you come before the Lord at the same time, whether it's morning or evening or a lunch hour or a coffee break, and you set aside that time to sit down with the Lord, open your Bible and begin to pray and cry out to God in prayer. Praying at all times begins with regular prayer time with the Lord and it overflows into an unceasing prayer as breathing kind of lifestyle. You know what I mean by prayer as breathing? Just as natural as it is to breathe in and out, you learn to pray like that. And so everything you're doing is just bathed in prayer and soaked in prayer and all that you're doing is just a constant flowing communication with God. Paul's example is, is incredible. Romans 1 verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. He was always praying for the people of God. Colossians 1 9, same idea again. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. How quickly, a brother reminded us last Wednesday night, how quickly we make promises to pray for one another, and those promises get forgotten and dropped so quickly and so easily. 
We ought to be very careful when we make a promise to pray, to discipline ourselves, to lift up that person in prayer. We pray for one another. We don't cease to pray for one another. It ought to be an outflow of our lives, just as regular and as simple to us as breathing. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, I thank my God whom I serve as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. We pray at all times. Thirdly, we pray with all perseverance. Take your Bibles, stick your finger in Ephesians 6 and flip over to Luke 18. It's a well-known story that Jesus tells that gives us the idea of perseverance or persistence in prayer. Luke 18, beginning at verse 1. Jesus tells this parable. Verse 1, he tells a parable that they, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain place there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused... But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's a parable. She kept at him. She kept beating on him. Dare I say it, she nagged him. She just kept pounding away. She would not let go. Her need and her cause was so strong to her. And she realized the judge is the only one that could give her what she needed. And so she nonstop persisted with him until finally he said, You know what? She's going to beat me to down to death. And so I'm just going to give her what he, she wants. Now our God is not quite like that judge. Our God is like the father with a little child who loves to hear his child's voice. The little child just comes at her dad again and again and again and again, looking for God, looking for her dad, sorry, to give her the thing that she needs and desires. I think I told you before, uh, one of my heroes is George Mueller, the fellow with the orphanages in London or Bristol, England, in the 1800s. He prayed every day, regularly. He prayed all through the day in an irregular manner. He prayed for 19 years for a man to get saved. Every single day he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And he was like that widow. He would not keep knocking on the door of heaven until God heard his prayer. And the day after he died, the man got saved. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Brothers and sisters, persist in prayer. Listen, we've said it before, I'll say it again. God rises to answer as the first thought of that prayer begins to form in our minds and we begin to speak it up to God. God is already rising to answer. But there are times like in George Mueller's experience there when God takes 19 years to answer a prayer. Why does he do that? Because he wants to deepen and strengthen our faith. And so the promise is that God will answer prayer. So listen this morning, if you're praying for something... You're pleading with God and the circumstances seem overwhelming and unable to be beaten. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep banging on the doors of heaven and keep pleading with God to hear your prayer. Paul says we pray with all persistence or all perseverance. 
Fifthly, we pray with a clear purpose. So once you notice in verse 19 and verse 20, there are two what we call Hina clauses. What that means is they're purpose clauses. In verse 19, he prays, in order that a word may be given to me in the preaching of the gospel. And then in verse 20, he prays, in order that I may speak freely. Now, these are add-on prayers to what's up above. He says, pray for all the people, all the saints, and for me also, in order that I may have a word, in order that I may speak boldly. We pray with a clear purpose. And if our purpose is our own advancement, our own use, our own ends, we've missed the boat entirely. He prayed that a word would be given to him that he might preach the gospel and that he might preach it boldly. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how often do our prayer meetings, they sound like an emergency department ward list, all the broken bones and all the sore backs and those things, we should pray for those things, don't get me wrong. But he prayed and you read the prayers of Paul and look at the things he prayed for. He prayed for the deeper, more meaningful things in this Christian life. But he prayed with a very clear purpose. Brothers and sisters, when you come before God, come before God with a clear purpose to pray and ask for those things that God longs to give His people. We pray with a purpose to have courage and strength and freedom. We pray with a purpose to preach the gospel. We pray boldly and we pray that we will have boldness. Well, that's the manner of prayer. Now I want to focus in on the main point of the message, which is the power in prayer. Notice I didn't say the power of prayer with God to achieve and obtain. I said the power in praying. It means the power to be able to pray. It's fine to me to stand up here and preach away and go on and on about praying in all forms and seasons and perseverance and purpose and so on. But what is it? that gives us the power to truly pray. What enables us to pray as we should? What empowers us to persevere in prayer? If it's all of our own doing, there's something tragically wrong. That's not what Paul is saying. What translates our prayers into the language of the living God? What calls us and draws us to pray? What supplies us with the items the concerns, the needs to pray. But even more than that, what is it that pray, equips us, sorry, to pray and seek for the things that we should and must ask for? And rather than saying what, the better answer is who enables us, who empowers us, and who translates us. That's very clear. Right in verse 18, you can see it without me even hardly explaining it. We're to pray at all times in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the secret to this Christian life. A secret that many in conservative circles have kind of all but disregarded. And a secret that some in more charismatic circles have distorted into something that he certainly is not. But the power to live this Christian life for which prayer is one of, if not the most important part, is the power that comes in the Holy Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. But before we can ever pray in the Spirit, we must first have the Spirit of God within. And if I were to give all sorts of answers from the Bible about how we are to pray in the Spirit without first helping us to see, to know for sure that we have the Spirit of God within us, I'd be doing a very damaging and a very dangerous thing. 
It's important, first of all, that we understand and know for sure that we have the Spirit of God dwelling and living within us. We need a little bit of a, a tour back through the Bible to see how it works. So remember, first of all, the Old Testament promise that was given to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets about the new covenant. And that new covenant is something that we have been brought into and included with. As we broke bread this morning, what do we say? This is the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant. That new covenant contained promises. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and flip over the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophecy of the book of Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. And I'm fairly sure, yes, Ezekiel comes right after Lamentations and right before Daniel. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, and we're going to read from verse 22 to verse 28 of Ezekiel 36. And he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. In verse 26 he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I want you to notice a couple of points about the work of God in that passage. He says, I will vindicate my holiness. What's he talking about? I think it's a fairly clear reference to the work of Christ on the cross where the holiness of God is vindicated as God pours out all of his wrath against the sin of man and that Christ bears that wrath in our place. Secondly, I want you to notice he says, I will cleanse you. A cleansed conscience is something that no sacrifice, no Old Testament blood animal sacrifice could possibly cleanse the conscience. And he says, I will cleanse you. A cleansed conscience is something that only the blood of Christ can accomplish. Then he says, I will remove the stony heart, that stubborn, rebellious, sinful heart of man, and I will put my spirit within you. Joel 2 and Jeremiah 31 speak about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. And that great morning in Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost morning, this new covenant came into effect. And one of the marks of that covenant coming into effect was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on those people there. And those 12 disciples who once were terrified and afraid and running away from the Romans now run out into the streets 
And they begin preaching the gospel and they're given that marvelous gift where one preaches and he's preaching in one language and one is preaching in a different language, another language, and they're all hearing the gospel. All these travelers from all over the world, they're hearing the gospel. God has put his spirit in them. The work of the Holy Spirit is to display the active presence of God in the world and the church and the life of the individual believer. The Holy Spirit's work is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what God the Son has begun. So God the Son came and he began that work of preaching the gospel and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, listen, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And the goal was there was that the disciples of Jesus Christ would carry on and finish or carry on further, not finish. It won't be finished in our generation probably, but carry on that work. And then what he would do is he would pour out his spirit on them to enable them and empower them to do that work. So Ezekiel promises, or God the Holy Spirit promises through the pen of Ezekiel, that he would put his spirit within us. And the spirit of God displays the work of God in the individual by a number of different activities. First of all, the spirit regenerates dead sinners into living saints. He makes that which was dead to be alive. In Titus 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal, how? Of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to take the work of Christ and apply it to you and make you alive. You say, wait a minute, Ephesians 2 says that God made us alive. You're right, it does. And I think those are cooperative works between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But the agent which applies the work of Christ to each of us is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God seals or stamps us with the Holy Spirit at the moment of belief. How many here got into the whole uh, scrapbooking thing? About maybe 10 years ago. No, I, not, not the guys. I don't see any guys to do it. But maybe some of the ladies, they had the you know, fancy scissors and they had all the cool stamps. And you'd put all the stuff together with pictures and stamp. No, I know you didn't do it, Con. I didn't either. And, so, and they had this cool thing, right? It was neat. It was pretty. They'd made all kinds of attractive, uh, decorative things. I'm a guy. I work with wood, okay? I don't know much about it. But I remember watching Heather do it. And she had all these cool stamps, and they go to scrapbooking stores, and they had all these stamps, and they cost a lot of money. You could buy these beautiful stamps, and you put them in the ink, and you stamp that stamp onto the piece of paper, and the ink would make the impression of whatever was on the stamp on the paper. And when God talks about sealing us with the Spirit, it's the same idea. He takes the Spirit of God and stamps that impression on us, so we are now marked or branded or sealed with the presence of the Spirit of God in us. So we are made alive by the Spirit and we're stamped with the presence of the Spirit of God. He fills us and indwells us with as believers. Thirdly, third thing, the Spirit of God produces fruit or evidence of His presence and power at work within us. The word in the Greek is fruit, but I actually like the word evidence better from a translation, not translation, from an interpretation point of view. You say, why is that? 
Because what we often do is think of the fruit of love and the fruit of joy and the fruit of peace and the fruit of all those different things and use them as fruits of the Spirit. But that's not what it says. It's actually fruit, and it means the evidence is produced. So just as surely as every single crime leaves behind evidence of the criminal and the victim and the method. If you ever watch crime dramas, which I kind of enjoy watching, especially the British ones, they're much more complicated. And the forensic evidence, they pull up, oh, the guy was never there. He created this airtight alibi with all this other peripheral evidence. And sure enough, one little strand of hair or something they find, there's evidence to show that you were there. And when Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The evidence of the Spirit of God living and indwelling us and working through us is it produces those things. And just as surely as the criminal cannot possibly get rid of all forensic evidence that he was there and did the crime and they catch him sooner or later, so surely the Spirit of God who is within us, who has been stamped onto us, will produce that evidence. So here's the question. You can already hear it coming. Christian, examine your life. Do you see the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life? Stop and think about that. Say, love. Well, you know, I love lots of people. Do you love those who hate you? That's the work of the Spirit of God. You see, I'm a joyful guy. You know, I'm pretty happy. I'm not really easily gotten down. I'm pretty upbeat. Yeah, but are you joyful when the whole world collapses and falls apart? Because that's the evidence of the Spirit of God. You have peace when everything's going well. But do you have peace in your heart when everything is going completely pear-shaped? The wheels have come off the wagon. You say, you know, I'm a kind guy. But are you kind to the ones that are kicking you in the shins? and slandering you and cursing you and so on because that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence of the Spirit. Christian, examine your life. Listen, if you're trying to live the Christian life by your willpower, or you're trying to achieve spiritual maturity by your striving, if you do not sense the presence of God at work within you, the biblical presence, okay? I'm going to say that with a big caveat. Sadly, the charismatic groups, God bless them, they have taken and created a whole bunch of ideas about what the Spirit of God does that are not found in here. This book, as we saw last week, is inspired by the Spirit of God. If they're claiming that something is a presence or a mark of the Holy Spirit and it's not in here, there is very great reason to doubt and question what you're hearing. Barking in the spirit and this sort of blasphemy, basically. Okay, so my question is, do you, present, do you sense the presence of God at work within you from a biblical standpoint? If you don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in you, there is reason to believe that you may not yet be saved. So that's a pretty confronting thing to say. You're right. It is. 
Aren't you afraid of stumbling someone who, who, who is saved and maybe make them think they're not in despair and all that? No. I mean, I have a little bit of fear of that, but I have a far, far, far greater fear that someone might think they're saved and they're truly not and go oblivious all the way to stand before Jesus and find out with a tragic moment that they're never really saved. And so I'd father rather provoke and question and encourage you and, and spur you to question and take a good long look at your life. Listen, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for years or even decades. If you find little or no desire for the things of God in your life, if you find every discipline, every activity of the Spirit-filled Christian life is a chore and a drag, it's a forced activity... If you're coming here week by week and enduring these two hours because your husband or your wife or your parents drag you here, if you'd rather be anywhere else than among God's people, if Bible reading is an endurance contest, if prayer is as foreign to you as speaking Swahili, if that is your situation, I will say it again. There is very great reason that you may not yet be truly saved. By the way, I put the word yet in there for very good reason. It's not too late. It's not too far gone. You're here. God's grace is extended. Cry out to God. What do you do about that? You repent and turn away from your sinful, ungodly behavior. You cry out to God for a work of His Holy Spirit within you. You cry out to God to testify to your own heart. And trust me, He will. I remember as a young man going through this stuff, wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. Do I really, am I really saved or not? And one of my bosses, who was a Christian fellow carpenter, said to me, God's Holy Spirit will testify in your own heart whether you're truly saved. Ask Him to show you. Seek the Lord with all your heart and He will make Himself known to you. That's a promise of Scripture. Trust in the Lord Jesus to save you. It's not too late. It's not too far gone. It's better to know that you have a problem now to live than to live in utter ignorance of it until it's too late. So if you don't see or sense the presence of the Spirit of God in your heart, cry out to God. Having said that, for those of us who are convinced that He is at work within us, for each true disciple displaying God's active presence in us, we are to live with our minds set on the things of the Holy Spirit. Take your Bibles, flip over to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verses 5 to 11. Romans 8 verses 5 to 11. Paul is writing and he says this, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We're to live with our minds set on the things of the Holy Spirit. We're to live with our minds set seeking his will, listening to him. When I'm praying, I'm pleading with God to the Spirit to lead me in prayer, to supply those things I need to pray for, to give me the power and the perseverance and the persistence to keep praying when everything in my body says, give up. Because it does at times. And the power of the Spirit of God works in us to help us pray. We'll get to that in a bit. Secondly, we're to be strengthened through the Spirit in the inner man. You want to know how to pray for each other, brother and sister? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You want to know how to pray for each other? Pray, plead with God for this church that God would strengthen us in the inner man. That we would walk pleasing to the Lord. That we would live by faith. That we would preach the gospel. We would have a word given to us in those moments to preach the gospel without hesitation, without fear. We're to walk and live by the Spirit. The last one, a second last one. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul again says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk according to the Spirit's leading. Live according to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If we are indeed... Filled with the Spirit, He will be the mover, the leader, and the guide to living life in Christ. And one of the things the Spirit of God does consistently is He points us to the truth and He points us to Christ constantly and ongoing. We're to live and walk by the Spirit. And lastly, right back to our text in Ephesians chapter 6, we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit. So take your Bibles and flip back over there. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Being filled with the Spirit, being strengthened through the Spirit, being walking with the Spirit, setting our minds to the things of the Spirit, we are also to be praying in the Spirit. What does he mean? To pray in the Spirit, then, is to pray with the conscious awareness of God's presence surrounding us and sanctifying us and helping us. The Spirit of God will testify to you in your heart that He is there. That He's leading you and teaching you. If God's Spirit is present within us, producing in us that which we, in our natural selves, would not and could not produce, it's Him in us. When we, we're inclined to be angry and instead we love, when we cried to be short-tempered and angry and bitter and we're patient and we're joyful and we have peace, when there's self-control, when there normally would be just abandonment, that's God's Spirit working in us. 
So to pray in the Holy Spirit, then I'll read it again, is to pray with the conscious awareness of God's presence surrounding us, sanctifying us, and helping us. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, when we pray, is a tremendous comfort. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit of the living God, fully aware of our weaknesses and our limitations, is a great comfort to us, helping us to pray. It's like a little boy, you know. He wants to talk to his grandmother. He doesn't know what to say, and he's kind of hesitant, and he's a little bit fearful. And his daddy leans down beside him, and he begins to whisper in his ear, Tell Grandma, thank for the red box. And tell Grandma, thank you for the underwear for Christmas. Or tell Grandma this. And the little boy, in hesitancy, just starts to speak, and he starts to talk to his grandma. And his daddy is giving him the words to say and helping him. to. And he, and he wants to tell his grandma he loves her, but he's just a little awkward. Grandma's kind of austere and a little bit forbidding in her, in her demeanor. And the daddy gets down beside him and gives him the words to say and just gently coaches him along. And that's how it is with God the Holy Spirit when we pray and we don't know how to pray when we ought. And we cry out to God and say, give me the words. Help me that I might pray effectively for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me that I might pray to see this church grow. Give me the ways, the means. Help me understand the things that are most important to pray for as part of this church. He helps us in our weaknesses and our limitations. We pray in the Spirit when we ask God for the things that God's Word tells us He delights and longs and plans to give us. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it. And worse to that effect. I can't remember the exact quotation of the verse. And people jump on that. Wow, yeah, you know, Lord, in your name, give me a Lamborghini. Lord, in your name, give me a new shiny motorcycle or something like that. That's not what he means. Not remotely what he means. When he says, pray in my name, the idea is ask for the things that I long to give you. I might have told you a story. Um, Henry Blackaby. Anybody here? You might have heard the name Henry Blackaby. His name kind of fell into disrepute a few years ago, but he did tell a great story which really illustrates the point well. He said he looked at his little boy one day and he wanted to buy him a Christmas gift, and so the little boy was just starting to learn how to ride a bike. And so he thought he'd buy him a bike that was just a bit too big and put the little training wheels on and everything. And, and he went out and he found just the perfect bike. It was red, it was a 10-speed or a 12-speed, whatever, and it had, you know... All the features and bells and whistles that a bike that a kid that age would want, and he bought the bike and he put it in the shed and he covered up with a whole bunch of stuff. And then this was about September, and from September and October and November, the dad every time he was around the kid, he would start talking about Christmas and he would just gently put suggestions and just gently 
you know, coach the little guy. And finally, after about two and a half months, as Christmas is getting closer and closer, this little kid, all he wants is a shiny red bike with 12-speed and training wheels and all the bells and whistles that his daddy had already got for him. And he asked for it, and his daddy on Christmas morning gives him the bike, and it's fantastic. He's got what he wanted. You see what God does? He works through Scripture... And he works through our circumstances and he just coaches us and shows us the things that we need to pray for if we're listening. You see, the biggest part about prayer isn't just speaking. I find myself halfway through my time in prayer and realize I've done all the talking. You know, it's like going out for coffee with that friend you have and you can't get a word in edgewise. And by the time the conversation's over, you're exhausted because all you've done is listen the whole time. But part of our prayer life, brothers and sisters, part of praying in the Spirit is listening to what God is saying and responding in prayer appropriately. We pray in the Spirit when we ask God for those things that God's Word tells us that He delights and longs to give us. We observe. Take a long look at the Bible. I said before, I'll say it again. The Bible characters and their prayers aren't there just to record what they said so we would know. They're there given to us as examples for how we should pray. One of you, when you're praying, I hear them all the time, quoting Hannah's prayer, or quoting Daniel's prayer, or quoting Nehemiah's prayer. Read those Old Testament saints' prayer. God the Holy Spirit inspired the men as they recorded those stories and those prayers. And why do you think God the Holy Spirit recorded all those prayers of all those godly men and women in the Old Testament for us just so we'd have a record? No, He inspired them so we would have an example to follow. Pray the prayers of Paul. Pray the prayers of Nehemiah and Daniel. Read Nehemiah again. I told you earlier, read it again. Look at all the ways and how he prays. We pray in the Spirit when he leads us in prayer and we follow. We pray in the Spirit when we listen and respond to his steady supply of items, expressions, Bible verses, and promises that he brings to mind as we are in prayer. To take it all back where we began as we finish up, we are to stand and endure the devil's schemes by being strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his might. We are to stand and endure the devil's schemes as we wrap the truth tightly around our waist. We fasten on the assurance that comes from the gospel of peace and the breastplate around our chest. We take up the shield of faith, absolutely convinced that God is able to keep his promises. We take up the helmet of salvation, protecting our mind and our thinking, and we pull it on. We take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and we get down on our knees and we begin to pray. Men of God don't fight on their feet. They fight on their knees, pleading with God in prayer. How are we going to stand and how are we going to endure? By our own strength? No, it's God's strength. By our own armor protecting? No, it's God's armor. By our own perseverance and effort? No, we stand because we stand on our knees praying and crying out for God to help us. May God help us today and for the remainder of our time here on this world and this earth to be the spirit-filled people of the living God, to be a people of prayer, to be praying in all forms of prayer, in all seasons, with all perseverance and with a clear purpose, but most of all to be praying 
in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you sense the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in your life working in you to change you and make you more like Jesus? If you don't, i say it again, cry out to God for help. Ask His Holy Spirit to bear testimony in your own heart as to where you truly stand before Him. If you do, if you sense the work of God in your hearts carrying you onwards, then I cry out to you, I plead with you. As a pastor, as an elder, and as a fellow believer, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times. Pray in all seasons. Pray with perseverance. Pray because I need it, and we all need it. Pray that we might each stand and endure against the devil's devices. We're in a battle, folks. Yes, the victory is absolutely sure, but we want to stand steadfast and sure through it all. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer, and then we'll sing the benediction together. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we give you thanks, O God, for the promise of the Old Testament that you would put your spirit within us and cause us to walk in your statutes in obedience to you. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done in every single person in this room. Lord, for those who do know you, and sense and know the presence of the Spirit of God leading them and enabling them and equipping them to live this life. Father, we thank you for where you have brought them and what you have brought them through. Father, we thank you that your Spirit is at work in them. Father, for those in this room, and Father, sadly the Bible tells us that there will be tares amongst the wheat and goats among the sheep. Father God, you are the only one that can turn a goat into a sheep. And so, Father, I plead with you, if there is one sitting in this room, standing here this morning, and they do not sense the work of the Holy Spirit in their own lives, that they would get on their knees before you and cry out to you for help, plead with you that you would testify to them where they truly are before you. Give them the faith to believe. Father, I pray that you would take this group of people and raise up from this church men and women, prayer warriors, men and women who are gospelizing, going out and sharing and preaching the gospel wherever they go, men and women who are filled with the Spirit, living under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, strengthened through the Spirit. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to finish this work and live this life in our own strength and our own abilities, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to display your work in us, in the church, and in the world. And Father, we pray that you would use us as the Spirit of God works through us to finish, to carry on and sustain the work that Christ began. Father, we plead with you for your help. We are, O oh God, men of clay at the very best. And we need your help. We need your strength. We need your enabling. We need you, O oh God. We cannot do it on our own. But, Father, we also give you thanks. And we rejoice this morning, O oh God, that the work, the, the victory is sure. 
The work is not yet finished, but the victory, the end, is absolutely sure. And Father, we look forward as a company of people to the day that we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and the work in us will be immediately finished. And we will see him no longer as through a glass darkly, but face to face. And we will delight in his presence. And Father, we will be amazed at our Savior. Father, we do already stand amazed at our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we seek your blessing. We cry out to you for your help again. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.